Today on Cinema Oblivia, uncomfortable conversations about race and rotoscoping. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivion, your podcast about movies that are hard to find, hard to watch, hard to see, or rare or obscure, or whatever. You know, you, you've listened before. But anyway, I'm your host, James Eldred, and who do I have joining me today? Emmett Watkins Jr. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here, Emmett. Why don't you tell the people a bit about yourself? Um, well, a lot of people might know me uh, more recently. I do a lot of stuff over at VGU.TV. Uh, I run the Players Club podcast over there, the mostly weekly podcast about video games and whatnot. Uh, write some reviews, not just about games, but uh, do some movies sometimes, do some music sometimes. This year I did a review for, uh, I think, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, that's what that movie was called. Uh, did a review for that one, did a review of Kanye West's latest album, Donda, and I did a review for Knockout City this year. So do a lot of stuff over there, but I feel like the most widely spread thing that I've ever been involved with is uh, kind of funny prom. <laughs> I was almost okay. prom king from there because I wrote a bunch of rap songs. So okay. here's your weird, obscure thing there. How, how was Donda? Uh, Donda is a it's a good <laughs> album. Okay, I, I'm comfortable saying it's a good album, but it's just so mired in Kanye's BS that um, it's like, man, I can't get away from the person. You know yeah, what I mean? And that's the one that has Marilyn Manson on it, right? Yeah. It, yeah. And, he, and, and that song is like a version of the best song on the album, but he takes out the best part of that song, which is Jay-Z's verse, and just adds not only Mar- Marilyn Manson, but also the baby right after oh. his whole controversy. So it's like, oh, come on now. I forgot, I forgot about the baby. Yeah, man. I yeah. tell you. I wish we all could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of controversy... <laughs> Today, we are talking about the movie Coonskin from 1975, an animated feature film written and directed by Ralph Bakshi. Now, I put this on my list of movies, and I'm like, no one's ever going to pick this. And then, Emmett, (laughs) you did me a a favor? So, um, why did you pick Coonskin? Well, I picked Coonskin for really mainly two reasons. Back in my phase, right after graduation, uh, when I was like in that phase where I was like, I'm an adolescent, I want to rebel, but I'm kind of a coward. So I rebel (laughs) in very small ways. Right after I graduated and went off to college, I was in this phase of I'm going to look at all the movies I'm not supposed to look at. And I was digging into crates. I was like watching all the Netflix stuff that's like all the teen sex comedies and stuff like that. Just anything I knew I wasn't supposed to watch. Let me down a rabbit hole to Fritz the Cat. Oh, and I've I've actually never seen Fritz the Cat because I wasn't (laughs) able to find it on the Internet in 2013. But I, I saw that movie and it's been in the back of my head of one that I wanted to watch. And then actually a source that you put into your notes here is another reason I thought of this movie, because in a folding ideas video that uh, that they made for the animated Lord of the Rings film, also by Ralph, they talked a little bit about his discography. And I realized that he is the same person who made this movie we're talking about here, Coonskin, and also Fritz the Cat. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll watch that sometime soon. And sometime <laughs> soon became now. 
<laughs> so have you seen any other Ralph Bakshi films? I ain't seen nothing from this guy. Uh, <laughs> okay. I was mainly just interested because it seemed like uh, he, he made weird like counterculture type movies and oh, yeah. mo- animated movies from the 70s was also, was interesting because it's such an early time, but it's also an adult animated film from the 70s. So I'm like, what the hell could that even be? I don't have a frame of reference for what that could be. So Well, it was the first one. So like oh, well, Fritz the Cat was go. the first adult animated film in America. It was rated X, like really adult. Uh, yeah, I heard. <laughs> I I saw Fritz the Cat in high school. I don't remember very little about it. It's 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 very sophomoric, and yeah. probably has the humor has probably not aged well. Not necessarily in an offensive way, just in like the stuff they make jokes about doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, so it's it's very sixties and seventies counterculture. I I Ralph Bakshi is a fascinating individual, and I, we're going to talk about him a lot, obviously, but. I'm not going to go over the history of Ralph Bakshi because that, that's like a mini series. If if you want to know more about him, people listening, uh, Emmett mentioned that Folding Ideas video by D- Dan Folding. Is that his name? Dan Folding? Yeah. Um, I believe so, yeah. About the Lord of the Rings. That's a really good primer. And the What a Cartoon podcast with Bob Mackey and Henry Gilbert. Uh, it's behind their paywall, but they did an episode about <laughs> about Cool World, and <laughs> they go, which is a Oh, that's a piece of shit. And <laughs> they go into uh, the kind of history of him there. One thing to keep in mind when talking about Ralph Bashke really is that if you read anything about him or if I mentioned quotes by him, take pretty much everything he says with a grain of salt because he is one of the world's greatest bullshit artists. <laughs> and nearly everything that comes out of his mouth is half a lie. Uh, in 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 my experience, <laughs> so yeah, he he definitely has a strong personality for, yes. for better or worse. Yes, but so I have not asked you what you thought of Coonskin. I'm going to get a live reaction now. So Emmett, what what do you think of Coonskin? <laughs> I'll say the first thing I thought was, "Holy hell, this is abrasive!" <laughs> like, yes, in your face, just it's it's just all out there. But uh, by the end of it, I was like. I appreciate that it, for as abrasive as it is, it's not all surface level. I appreciate that something's being said. I have problems with how it's being said and by whom it's being said. <laughs> okay. But yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with all that's being said. Yeah. So Coonskin is a oh, also I think we could maybe put it like quick content warning. <laughs> oh like, yeah, there's yeah. some gnarly stuff in this film. <laughs> yeah. Gnarly racial stuff. If you couldn't tell by the name, um, yeah, a lot of uh, homophobia, homo- displays yeah, homo- of the bad stuff. <laughs> homophobia, not good portrayals of really anyone. I would say, mm-hmm. I would, say, I would, however, say aside from the homophobia, he's really not targeting a minority group. He's more just. I always feel like Ralph Bakshi really hates people, and <laughs> he. Wow. Well, well, he, well. One I can, thing I will I can see that. One thing I'll say about his history is that he grew up in a very poor neighborhood in New York City, and he was a Jewish immigrant. And as he got older, the neighborhood he grew up in became less Jewish and more more black. Hmm. And I think that really, I mean, when you watch this movie, especially this and heavy traffic really show that, you know, he for good, you know, I think he definitely was exposed more to black culture than most people in America were at that time. Certainly. And, certainly. And you, you see that in this film. But what is what is Coonskin about? Basically, Coon it's hard to say what it's a like plot wise or like themes. 
because uh, those are two let's different start, things. Let's start with the plot. What is the plot okay. of Coonskin? Basically, it starts with a couple of young men uh, out in what looks like the bu- the suburbs or just in the country somewhere yeah, and then driving the, off to... Yeah? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're in Oklahoma, I think. Yeah. Oh, Oklahoma. Okay. Well, yeah, they're out there in Oklahoma, just country, and they're driving to the city to go break one of their friends out of jail. And then we cut to that prison right outside the wall where the young man they're coming to pick up and an older cellmate uh, who looks, you know, twice the age of this other guy. Uh, They both break out and they're just sitting on the wall waiting for the car to pull up so they can make their break for it, make the run for it to the car. And while they're waiting in the middle of the night, the old man starts telling a story about some cats he had, some friends he had that were very similar to this young guy's crew. And then that's when the animation comes in and it's telling this whole sprawling story about um, all his friends and all of them growing up in the country, then them going to the city, going to Harlem and basically taking over slowly but surely, uh, you know, just basically clashing with the establishment that's there, uh, clashing with the cops, clashing with the Italian mafia there. And it is a lot of sexually explicit stuff for seemingly no reason a lot of gratuitous violence a lot of uh a lot of just stuff that makes you uncomfortable to watch this is a i i turned 27 today and i was afraid of my parents <laughs> walking in on me watching this movie like I turned, up <laughs> i i i have seen this movie twice the first time with a friend last year and then uh just this past week to prepare for this podcast and i watched it with my boyfriend and i live in japan and he's japanese and he was incredibly confused um, yeah, <laughs> because he doesn't understand a lot of like modern slang. So you throw in 1970s black slang, and like we needed. To, ever seen Airplane? Ooh, I've seen I've seen parts of Airplane. There's the, 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 the famous scene in Airplane where the, the I forgot the old TV mom actress. There's, there's two black guys on the plane speaking jive. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. And I know the scene. And, yeah, yeah. I felt like that. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that because this yeah. movie, like even me, like someone who's seen, um, if not a lot of movies from the seventies, just a lot of stuff from the eighties and stuff. Just growing up watching what my parents watched, some a word or two, I was like, "What the hell is that?" Like, and that's the content oh, is so hard. Also, this movie is based on the Briar Rabbit stories. We forgot to mention that. Like, this is a modern retelling of Briar Rabbit, Briar Rabbit, Briar Fox. All those, you know, the uh, African American folklore characters. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard of that too. Yeah, yeah. Which most, if anybody nowadays knows those characters, is probably from Song of the South. Um, yeah, I did not which, realize Song of the South was pulling from that same material. <laughs> well, this movie oh, is no. a, this movie is kind of a spoof of Song of the South. So, like people who don't know, Song of the South is a Disney film from the '30s, uh, really revolutionary because it has a live action animation hybrid. Also, kind of sort of racist because <laughs> it's you know yeah. it's it's Uncle Remus stories and those are like you know kind of like retellings of Brer Rabbit and other and those stories from a, a white man and kind of in the movie kind of romanticizes plantation life. Uh, I've seen Song oh, of yeah. the South. I would say Song of the South is way more. It is racist, but it's way more boring than racist. And and <laughs> the racism, yeah. it's not. It's not aggressive. It's not hateful. It's just stupid. Like it's it's like it's ignorant. <laughs> very not. It's a very naive film. But it's not like yes. The the that movie is not that movie is not anti. Like it's not hating black people. It's not mean spirited. It's just kind of stupid. It's less saying like oh things should be worse. It's more like man, aren't things so great how they are and how they are being the super problematic yeah, system. Uh, 
yeah, there is that. But anyway, this movie is, oh boy, it's I don't even know where to begin. I I think we should really like we talked about Ralph Bakshi and like I said, listen to those podcasts and the YouTube video if you want to get a better idea. Um, I will say that. 70s Ralph Bakshi is a fascinating and incredibly flawed filmmaker. Between 1972 and 1983, he made eight movies. Oh my um, god! Yes, and he he damn near killed himself. Like he was working on this movie while he was working on Hey Good Looking and pre-production for Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> Insanity. he was pushing himself to the limit. He he is a fascinating guy. Like he made Fritz the Cat, which is a, a very important but not great film, and then he made Heavy Traffic, which is I think the best film he wrote. That is very, that's kind of a more sanitized version of this. Yeah, definitely seems so just from the clips I've seen. Oh, it's, and it's that I really, that movie also has some racial issues. I think that are less forgivable than the ones in this, but I, I, and it's also very homophobic, but it's very real. Like you watch Mm -hmm. that movie like, yep, that, that is, this is one person's view of the world, like it or hate it. And then there's this movie, Coonskin, Wizards, which is just hot garbage, just like <laughs> it's bad. Lord, the Lord of the Rings, which I also don't like, but a lot of people do. And then American Pop, which is I just watched that last week. That is an incredible movie. Hmm, okay, I, he didn't write that one, but it feels very, very autobiographical still because that movie follows four generations of a family. And starting in starting with them fleeing the Cossacks in Russia and going into 1980s punk rock. So I highly recommend American Pop. It, it also is flawed, but it's also a very much, much better animated movie than, than a lot of the other ones and just really fascinating film. And then Hey, Good Looking, which is a whole other podcast. And then Fire and Ice, which is also hot garbage. That is the one with character designs by Frank Frazetta. Hmm. Who? Wait, if, I was just gonna ask: Did he have something to do with heavy metal as well, or is this website I'm looking at just wrong? No, he did not work on heavy metal. Heavy metal is very clearly inspired by Ralph Bakshi. Uh, yeah. It uses a lot of the same animation techniques. Ralph Bakshi was big into rotoscoping, as you can tell watching these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, rotoscoping and combining live action with animation, and those are both things he did as a stylistic choice and as a way to save money. Uh, okay. It's that much easier sense, to get a live action background that to, to take a photo of a, of a take a photo of a city and animate over it. It's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. than drawing a whole background scene. And you know, if you want to ha- draw instead of instead of animating people driving a car, just film a car. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, he did a lot of that in this one. Yeah, a lot of that in this one. Yes, but the other person really behind the scenes I want to talk about. There's a few, but. Did you see who the producer was? Albert S. Ruddy? Yeah, I didn't know. That name wasn't familiar to me. What is he known for? The Godfather. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Not only that, he... he, Someone to make a movie about this dude because he started at NTV. He produced Hogan's Heroes. uh, Everyone's favorite World War II screwball comedy. And then back to back, he produced The Godfather in the Longest Yard, which is just like Jesus. <laughs> and then, then he met Ralph Bakshi, and they made this movie. And then in the eighties, he kind of went downhill. He produced Cannibal Run, which people, which made a lot of money, but it's bad. He made a lot of movies with, um, oh crap, what's his name? He made a lot of movies with Hal Needham, the director of Smoking the Bandit. Um, oh, oh, but but after Smoking the Bandit. <laughs> 
which is really unfortunate because that's his best movie. So he made he he wrote Mega Force, which is a hilariously bad movie, and which I own the soundtrack to, and um, a lot of other <laughs> ones. But then works. then he had a kind of a late career resurgence. First, he was the creator of Walker Texas Ranger. Holy shit! Okay, and, and martial law, the Samuel Hung TV show. Uh, and then, even more recently, he produced a million dollar baby, and okay, and, and cry macho. So he's had yeah. some type of a career with the dude. Is like dude is over ninety years old, I believe, still kicking it, you know. And uh, <laughs> but yes, from the coonskin, from the create, from the producer of Walker Texas Ranger and The Godfather. <laughs> God, that is also like that. That feels like so emblematic of this movie, where it's like it's a bunch of stuff all in one. One other person behind the scenes, really quick. The cinematographer is a guy named William William A. Fracker or Fraker. I don't know how to say that. Dude, what, nominated for five Oscars, did the cinematography for Rosemary's Baby, Bullet, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Tombstone, Heaven Can Wait, War Games. So big, big names, <laughs> big, big, big talent on this. The animation department. I didn't recognize a lot of their names, but we got people who worked on the Black Cauldron, GI Joe, Transformers, <laughs> Tiny Toons, the Snorks. Um, <laughs> Charlotte's Web, the '70s Godzilla TV show, Scooby Doo, Muppet Babies, The Gummy Bears, Page Master, um, Wow, Garfield and Friends. So like big, heavy, like people who worked on this movie went on to do other stuff. So you know, wow, it, he, this is a starting ground for a lot of people. For as Ralph weird as Bas- it is, yeah. Ralph Basque said he hired a lot of African American animators when other studios weren't now i don't know how you know these people are not really well known so i can see a bunch of names i don't know how many of them are african-american there's not a lot of like you know information on that um for for some of these character designs i'm hoping a black man drew some of these or a black woman just for some of this stuff i'm like oh lord yeah 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 and then the music's by chico hamilton he was a a band leader and composer he played a lena horn and count basie so like behind the scenes some some you know some uh a little bit of African American talent, and of course, the cast is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Barry Wright in a in a movie for the first time I've ever seen. I'm like, oh wow. Yeah. So who, yeah, who's the very that? first person you see singing that song in the beginning? Oh god, I forget his name, but I know he's in The Shining. Oh, Scatman, Scatman Crothers. That that's it. That's it. Oh yep. man, and yeah, he fascinating guy. Anyway, I talked about him on the Silver Streak podcast. He had a crazy career too, starting in you know. He was working in speakeasies when he was a kid and just moved up from there to traveling bands, to TV, to movies. Um, and he's mm-hmm. a voice actor. He was in Hong Kong. He's Hong Kong Fooey. <laughs> and Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. He was in Transformers <laughs> and a lot of other stuff. His first movie is about minstrel shows. Well, how uh, almost accurate for this one. Yeah, and then there's the preacher. It's played by Charles Gordon, who was a Pulitzer Prize, the first African-American to win a Pulitzer Prize for drama. Um, oh. 
for his play, uh, No Place to Be Somebody, but he didn't really follow that up with any success, kind of a one-hit wonder. Uh, But Mm. he worked with Ralph Bakshi quite a bit. He also worked with a group called the Congress of Racial Equality, also known as CORE, who we'll hear more about later. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I remember hearing something about them too, yeah. Yes, and then finally they got Philip Michael Thomas from from, uh, from Miami Vice as Brother (laughs) Rabbit, and of course, Barry White as Mm -hmm. Brother Bear in his only film role. Yeah, that's why I was so surprised. I was like, I I don't think of him as being someone who was in movies like that big of a thing. But for something like this, that's this like low key in the grand scheme of what's popular at the time. It's like, all right, it makes sense. But still, this is the one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would imagine if he was alive now, like if, he, if his career would have started 10 years later, he'd be in every movie. Every He'd be, every, he'd be a voice in every movie because his voice is so good. Right? Yeah, I for mean, sure. Like you can't get him. So you get Tone Loke now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly you know because it talks about this baby you know uh i oh such a <laughs> good those dulcet tones and like this came out like this came out at the peak of his popularity as a musician like he already had recorded never ne- never never gonna give you up and can't get enough of mm-hmm. your love babe and all those hits so he's probably the biggest name at the time involved in this film and, oh yeah certainly and what a film it is so um <laughs> We'll talk. We'll get to the controversy, but let's let's talk about this movie. So, oh boy. Um. <laughs> so, what will you tell me? So, you said what you thought of it. Here's my mm-hmm. my general viewpoint on this film is that it is fascinating. Uh, That's for sure. And I really appreciate what Ralph Bakshi was trying to do. And I think in some points he succeeds. And I think at some points he fails, and I think at some and at a certain level, you have to look at the movie at the when it was made, and yes, some stuff that was acceptable to do back then isn't now. You know, for, for sure, <laughs> for for you know, for 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 white filmmakers or or for you know non people of color, and we like well, we kind of skated around it like. Like what's what's the biggest issue with this film you think in terms of like race? Like why is it so why do you think it's so controversial? I feel like speaking strictly of race, because there's some other stuff we could talk about. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. It feel because when I first saw here, here's the best example of it. The the movie opens with a song, and you hear the song twice to the movie, but it opens with a song. Um God, I forgot how it goes, but um I, you know I, I remember, but I can't say it. <laughs> I mean, I know it uh, it's saying I'm a I'm a this type of man, like a bunch of different like low class jobs. I'm a this man. I'm a that man. I'm a cleaning man. I'm a working man. And then the chorus is like, I'm a nigger man. And then I heard that song and I'm like, all right, that sounds like something that, you know, someone would write way, someone would write way back in the days, you know, 50s or something. And that might be a popular song within black communities to just whistle or something. And then I saw the ending credits and saw that Ralph uh, Batsky, Bakshi uh, wrote it himself. And I was like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, left a bad taste in my mouth yeah, where well, yeah that's like my main problem with the film where there's a lot of like black imagery there's a lot of like minstrel imagery with mm-hmm. characters with like when i say black skin literally black skin like completely dark and the red lips and everything playing mm-hmm. with a lot of that imagery using a lot of like just black things from black culture that have been used both against us and by us mm-hmm. and it's all being used by a white writer and a white director and i'm just like i don't feel comfortable with that yeah, and like, but on the same token, that first, that song's really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a catchy fucking song. <laughs> yeah. 
So the, the the issue with the film is like is is a story like this can a white person make this movie right that's the that's the crux of it right mm-hmm. I, it, that is the crux of it and it's and it, it's kind of a not double edged sword but it's kind of messy which I use to describe the entire film but mm-hmm. it's it's messy because you can tell there's a care there you can tell it's like he's he's coming from a decent place but there's a little bit of a there's a I don't know. There's a fascination there with black culture that you can tell he's probably had for a long time growing up that is being displayed in this movie that I'm just like, all right, it's cool that you like are interested and, you know, care. But it's like, man, maybe this isn't your thing to tell. Maybe this is the type of film that uh, an actual black creator would have made if they had the funds and everything at the time. Um where it's it's still cool that a lot of this stuff is on screen and that he's you know displaying some of these more radical especially for the 70s ideas oh yeah but yeah like there, there's one scene involving a cross and three photos that i'm just like holy shit like in the 70s yeah. that's probably crazy but yeah you know he it's just yeah weird i i feel that like i i wouldn't call ralph Bakshi racist for this film like maybe he's done, done stuff and said stuff afterwards maybe i don't know but I, I don't feel that this film, the intentions of this film are not racist. I don't believe. Certainly. I yeah. agree with that. And I will give, especially back in the 70s, I'll give somebody a lot of credit for trying. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. especially and, and like, yeah, uh, it would be better if uh, a person of color made this film, but like, you have to be real in 1975. That probably wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, you know, that's kind of where I came down to. It reminds me of, do you know the, do you know the documentary Paris is Burning? Ooh, I've heard of that. I it's about what it's drag about. balls. It's about drag balls, like drag queens. And, oh, okay, yes, yeah, I heard of yeah. that. Yeah, and a white woman made that. A white, a straight white woman made that. And later on, um, some of the people, like we, uh, some drag people and people of color, were like we should have made that movie. And then uh, responses by people in the movie were, were, well, you didn't. She did. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like you gotta. It just, it is. It's, it's that's how it works out sometimes. And then there's other controversies, like like c- the color purple. You know, Spielberg. Oh, yeah. And I think once you get to that, I think, yeah, a, a, a black. I mean, I, I think that movie's probably pretty good. <laughs> I've never seen it. I mean, it. the thing about The Color Purple, because I that's one of those that I've seen a million times because it was just on in my house all the time. Okay. And I would say The the Color Purple is a movie that, as far as black communities go, or at least the communities I'm around, because I'm not going to speak as a monolith or whatever. But <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, yeah, yeah. But we all take that movie for what it is, and we don't think of it as blackness through the eyes of steven spielberg we think of it as you know a straight up adaption of a real story from that time not like it's a documentary but we take it for what it is um rather than you know looking at it through the lens of the director but um yeah for for coonskin because it is so abrasive because Mm -hmm. it is putting these images putting the putting these ideas so strongly into your head so aggressively into your head it's way easier to be like 
all right, who's saying this in the case of A Color Purple where there's a little bit of a universality to it where it's a love story, story about family, story about finding yourself as an individual that is somewhat relatable to everybody. So you can swallow the fact that that didn't come from a black voice. But this movie is like, God, how can you get away with some of this? <laughs> yeah, because like the very one of the very first scenes, like the very first scene in the movie, they're in a whorehouse and the sheriff is about to have sex with the prostitute who ends up being his daughter. And yeah. they kill him and go on to run. And that does all white people they're killing. And then mm-hmm. they go to Harlem and they meet um simple savior. Yeah. <laughs> I S- these names as well. <laughs> So, Simple Savior is the cousin of Black Jesus, who, that's what he says, and Mm -hmm. he preaches naked, um, and he promises- Butterball naked, and you see a lot. Oh, you see a lot. Um, And he preaches that he will give the black people the strength to kill whites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, that's the part. Right around there, I was like, huh, this is a lot. (laughs) Like- (laughs) And not only does he do that, I mean, you're probably going to talk about it, but the, the whole cross scene where he pulls up, I forget well, don't the three you talk people. About it. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, like he, he, he gives this whole quote unquote sermon interpretive dance type of thing for a crowd of like Harlem inner city blacks. And they're all just shouting and cheering and everything. And he does this whole dance number about how, you know, he, how he's a black man and he represents everything it is to be black and how uh, white is representing everything it is that is negative, that is bad, that you want to break free from from oppression. And then he gets hoisted onto this giant with a bunch of like Christmas lights on the side, a giant cross. <laughs> and there's there's like a seat in the middle of the cross right where a crucifixion would be happening. And instead of him getting crucified on this cross, three images come down in front of him on big sheets of paper, one of Elvis, one of uh, John, John Wayne, Wayne, I believe, and uh, President Nixon, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So all of them get put up there, and then he takes out two pistols from beyond the cro- from behind the cross, and just blows holes into these posters until they're just shredded into pieces, and then the crowd just grabs at all the papers and joy. Yes. It is something else. <laughs> and then, but also, he's a con man. Yes, like, that is revealed shortly after that. Like he's doing all this just to get people's money. Now, now. Excuse me if I'm speaking out of line here. Um, okay, try me. There, there is there is the the stereotype, not just like it, it. There is the stereotype of belief of some charismatic African American preachers are just in it for the money. There is a stereotype of that. That is correct. Yes. Um, as, I saw as someone. It, yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say, as someone who's grown up in the church a lot of my a lot of my life, I, I'm not going to like accuse any previous pastors of the churches I've been in as a kid of being this stereotype. But, you know, you get certain vibes from people um, and you hear stories of other people from other churches. Like there's definitely that stereotype. And that's even in a lot of movies. Like uh, I want to say either last Sunday or first Sunday, but it's one of Kevin Hart's earlier films. Uh, okay. They definitely play with that. Um, some of the Friday movies play with that. Uh, I think the second Friday movie actually plays with that stereotype. So that's a known trope in film um, in my lifetime. So it's definitely a thing. And I thought of Car Wash, um, which is a great movie. That And Richard Pryor has one scene in that movie, and he's that character. Yep, he, exactly. And he, his, he's that character, and he shows up in a limo with the Pointer Sisters. So <laughs> good Back scene. Back in the day, that's a statement. That's a, that movie's fucking that movie's that movie's amazing. But anyway, yeah, well, and that's not just a black stereotype. I mean, I think there's a there's the the black version of it is more flashy, and then the white version is you know Jim Baker, you know the yeah. 
the Temple or of Joel Angel. Osteen. Joel Osteen, yeah, exactly. So it's not a, it's not, it's just the way it's portrayed in each race is a little bit different, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that's definitely playing into that. And then, so they kill him and take over his racket, and then they get, they want to take out the mafia, and mm-hmm. the mafia stuff in this movie, and and also the crooked cop, the. Oh yeah, the crooked cop they take out first. Yeah, the yeah by yeah. How do they kill the crooked cop? <laughs> oh my god, they killed this crooked cop in the most like roundabout way possible. So they take the so first off, this crooked cop is shown to be just the most dirty schmarmy guy ever. Um, the way they characterize him and the way they draw him and animate him are just like the slimiest thing in the world. Yeah. So it's him. And his two fellow cop buddies all undercover. They're going to Harlem to go get their, you know, their cut of the undercover money so that they can, you know, pay protection or whatever. I, they really don't hammer home what that's about. But they're running to these rackets and they're like, yo, where's my cut? Hey, the rabbit already came for your cut. The rabbit being our protagonist here. And he's like, what's going on? So he goes to all these rackets. Eventually he goes to meet the rabbit. The rabbit's got a whole plan set up. The, the speakeasy he owns, or I guess the bar he owns, is empty. Uh, no one's in there, so the cop comes in. Uh, there's a young lady there who's like, hey, just take a seat, copper. Rabbit will be out in just a second. And so they get him drunk, and they you know put some dancers on stage for him, which also, we, we've said there's a lot of gratuitous nudity in this movie. I didn't expect to see an actual human. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. Like one of the women. Yeah, this is a full-on stripper. Yeah, like a, an actual yeah. like live-action stripper. Yeah. Yeah, which was kind of jarring, but I, I guess that's what you're playing with in this movie. So it I, is I what saw, it is. I've seen other films, so I, that, that didn't surprise me as much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is if, if this one your first time seeing a movie like this, it's definitely like, huh? Okay, yeah, that's something. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so long story short, they drug this man's alcohol. Uh, he goes through this big hallucinogenic, or before he even goes through this big hallucinogenic scene, they drug him, then escort him into a room where this is where some of the homophobia comes in where he's lusting after the stripper, then they take him to this room with a young man in there, and then he has his way with this cop. Yeah. And then there's like this big hallucinogen scene, a big sequence where like monsters are eating him alive and stuff. And then they like paint his face black and then paint his lips bright pink. And it's like, God, oh, this is some more menstrual stuff. And yeah. put him in the clothes and stuff. And then there was a little bit of transphobia there where they put him in like a like a Medea type dress, if, oh, if if that I, makes sense. I read that as him trying, like they making him look like a stereotypical mammy. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. kind of I read that in part, but then I also read that as like, uh, are they doing that to him because he feels less of a man because he was with another man just now in that room? Like, I, th- I think both. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, it, it, they're probably going for both, but in the 70s, it's like, oh man, one, both of those are like kind of taking a step i don't know if it's crossing the line or if it's just on the line but man that line is getting some play yeah yeah and then he he Mm -hmm. he freaks out starts shooting his gun kills the cops and the cops kill him yep pretty much he his two partners dead and that sends him crazy and then you know suicide by cop pretty much yep We'll get to the controversy, but when this film came out, it was controversial about racial issues. Nobody really mentioned that this movie is like incredibly anti-gay. <laughs> like, yeah, it's and, it's 
so weird. <laughs> That's a very common problem in a lot of Ralph Bakshi films. It's very interesting because a lot of in heavy traffic it has a lot of transphobia in it, but also it's not it's very sympathetic towards mm-hmm. the trans character. And that's in a few of his other films too, or just very casual gay jokes that aren't very mean. Like somebody comes on to somebody and he's like, Hey, that's not my scene. And you know, it's kind of yeah. all there is to it. But this one, you have that, and then there's the mafia and all I don't the- know what they were thinking with all the sons. So here's his so all the sons except for one are cross dressing homosexuals and probably incestuous. Yeah, I yes. don't yeah, they and didn't even of- make that clear. And one of them talks like John Wayne um, <laughs> for no reason. And his, 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 his also, and oh God, the, the Godfather is just the most disgusting. Oh, yeah. The Godfather fo- looks like the meatball from uh, Aqua Team Hunger Force. Yes. If, if, the, if Meatball and Pizza the Hut had a kid, yep, it would be this bingo. guy. And voiced by Al Lewis from the Munsters. <laughs> Oh my god. Un- uncredited. Um and they the 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 sons are all like flaming gay and the the dad the godfather is just this evil slug of a human being and I don't know if he notices or not but Ralph Bakshi really 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 fucking hates the mafia. <laughs> yep. Oh god, I could tell. <laughs> and that shows up in most of his films. He <laughs> really hates the mafia he grew almost as much as he hates cops yeah he hates cops um but i'm sure but man does he hate he really fucking hates the mafia. like it got really weird at a certain point because like um i mean later on uh with with the mafia there's a scene where it's more hallucination more hallucination stuff and there's just random spaghetti and pizza thrown into these hallucinations yeah. and it's like i don't know if that's like it's stereotyping but like why <laughs> yeah and it's just so strange and also like i really want to know what the mafia did to ralph bakshi <laughs> because they obviously did something you know he grew up in a poor new jewish neighborhood in the 19 you know 50s so mm-hmm. i mean i have a feeling that because so much of this movie is inspired by like his you know looking at you know the inner city growing up i have a feeling that in the way where black communities look at anybody who's coming into their community and trying to profit off of them without them getting a cut they look at that as hostile so i'm thinking he kind of you know residually kind of took that personal as well when the mafia would come into Mm. a black community and profit off of them um because there's there's movies and you know other things been said about that where you know i want to say in him uh, I want to say American Gangster, Denzel Washington film. That, that was one. a okay. Well, there, that's like a slight plot line in that movie where they're like, "Oh, the 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 white people can come through the hood and sell us all these drugs. Why can't we profit off of that? Why can't we make a mm. black business out of this?" So, I think that his disdain for the mafia is something connected to that. But like, I don't think anyone's trying to take it to like uh, he takes it to a racial stereotype and pointing, you know, making fun of the fact that they're Italian rather than the fact that they're doing an evil thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I I also feel like Ralph Bakshi really hates hucksters and con men. And yes. which is funny cuz he kind of is one. But he um <laughs> you know, going back to to um you know the the preacher character early on and this character like they're con men, they trick they they trick people. They they they're, they're exploiting they're exploiting people who like them. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I I feel that that is something that really gets Ralph Baxi's goat. (laughs) And it is, but the, 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 hey, they're Italian. Hey, they're Italian. Italian, like, it's, it's just so much. And then there's the very bizarre scene where the where the Godfather's wife tries to kill him. Yeah, that that was actually kind of I like that idea because you could tell the mother was just, you know, she just wanted to protect her family. Yeah. And she she wasn't really in love with this monster looking dude anyway. So like it kind of made sense for her, you know, small character development. But you know, her death scene was more bizarre than the fact that she wanted to kill her husband to save her sons. Like that was a very strange death scene. I thought it was oddly beautiful. <laughs> like, because he turns into a butterfly, and then they crush her. Like, it is. Yeah. It symbolic. Is very, it's very symbolic. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of like, you get those flashes of Baxi trying something a little more avant-garde or experimental. Like, there's that scene that really has nothing to do with the rest of the movie of that woman talking about her, her, ex, her ex-boyfriends, the roach and the rat. Yeah, that was a very weird one. Yeah, I remember that one. And that character design is problematic. Um, yeah. But I like that scene quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that could be a, a, a two-minute short film, you know, because it really doesn't play into anything else. And then, of course, also there's Miss America. <laughs> oh, okay. Real quick side note. Because this is this the scenes with Miss America are because I can tell a movie is at least very interesting if I pull out Google Notes to write stuff down. And this is one of the few notes I wrote down. There's the second scene with Miss America where uh, one of the people from one of the dudes from Harlem goes up to her with the machine gun and like just pops off a bunch of shots. That clip was actually sampled in Joey Badass's album uh, All American Badass. Oh, wow. And it threw me off because, like, I that album came out in like what 2017, 2018. I, I'm not years a really ago. badass fan, so you're on your own here. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh it's fine, it's fine. I'm not gonna. I, I don't need help on this one. But um, yeah, I, I like that album quite a bit. And when I first heard that, I was like, oh my god, I've heard this music before. And then sure enough, that scene came, and I heard the dialogue, and I'm like, why would this? I when I heard that because that album is all about like you know you know, fuck the white establishment and all Mm -hmm. that good stuff, you know, anti-police, all that type of rhetoric. And it's a great album, just great rap in general. But it really showed me how, you know, Ralph was really doing something with this movie and it might be messy, but like it clearly resonated. If Joey Badass, a very well-known rap artist, you know, who's, you know, been around for a couple of years, if he's watching that movie and knows references to that movie, it has some type of resonance for today. So I'm like, all right, something's being done here. But yeah, that Miss America character was very on the nose in a way that I thought was actually appreciated. <laughs> and I I really like that is the most bare bones like symbolism ever. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the black when black black men try to take advantage of America and then they are unfairly murdered or beaten by it. Mm-hmm. Or like, they're seduced by the promise of America as, you know, this big blonde white woman with all the features you'd want. And then Boom. They get taken advantage of or killed. Okay. Okay, you red, white, and blue. Now you know good, Miss America! How you like this shit? <laughs> yes. I, I'm looking really quick on whosampled.com uh, to see who if anybody else sampled Coonskin. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I, while you're saying that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Ice-T. Ice-T sampled Coonskin. In 
1989 for a track called Hit the Deck, which, oh, and that's on Freedom of Speech. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that record. Uh, that record's fucked up. Um, and <laughs> somebody, I don't know, Theo Parrish sampled um, pre- the pre- uh, part of Coonskin and um, a group called Ave Maria <laughs> sampled Coonskin. Wow. But I do want to hear the Ice T sample. That, hmm. that he sampled it on. Um, Freedom of Speech. Just watch what, that's and that's the album Ice T made after Cop Killer. And oh, okay. <laughs> that album has Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys. That album is that album. The cover of that album is a cartoon of a black guy with two guns in his ears and one gun in his mouth. Um, wow, that like is the Borderlands cover art. Yeah, that <laughs> I would say it's a bit more, uh, bit more top, more charged. Uh, yeah, more charged, more charged. Yes, yes. But like, I would say like all there's interesting stuff here and there's problematic stuff here. But we like. I feel the movie kind of falls apart in the third act once the whole boxing thing starts. Cause I do not understand what the hell's going on. Yeah. Like, that whole montage or whatever, which is very, it, it throws you off because the movie was already using live action footage to complement the animation. But this was a sequence of nothing but live action footage the entire time. Yeah. And I put together what was going on, but like to anyone who wasn't, you know, familiar with the switching and what, like, you had to be aware that the character of Bear wasn't a literal bear because they show him as just a black dude in that yeah. sequence. Yeah, and, very awkward. And and this is the part that I think most plays into the Brer Rabbit stories because they're using Brer to get what they want, Bear to get what they want, which is kind of like the story about the Scarecrow. I, I I read up on, I, I I that's in Song of the South, and I've seen Song of the South. Um, I have a boot, <laughs> I have a bootleg. Uh, rip of a Japanese laser disc, Song of the South. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the kind of movie that you like. It's it's one of those movies that you can't see it, so you want to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, hey, that's how I felt about these movies. <laughs> exactly, but you literally can't see Song of the South because that shit's been out of print your entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> and, pretty much. Yeah, and it's never been released on home video in America. So, um, yeah, but I ain't I, yeah, taking so, that out the vault. <laughs> yeah, they ain't taking that, that. That shit is staying in the vault. It is buried in the vault. I'm the minstrel man, the cleaning man, the pole man, the shoe shine man. I'm a nigger man. Watch me dance. But then there's the okay, Tar Rabbit. Let's say Tar Rabbit. Um, ah, okay. That's the story. End. I don't want to say the other phrase. Um, yeah, that phrase Which, on its own is not really a racial slur, but it became one later. From what yeah, I yeah, and it it threw me off so much because like when they said it, I was like, wait a second. Uh, that sounds like a slur I've heard. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's such an out of vogue bad thing to say that you don't. I I don't even think of it as like something being on the table. And then sure enough, I'm like, holy shit! It's the '70s, so of course that would have been on the table. Well, in 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 the Br'er Rabbit stories, they use that phrase, and it doesn't have a racial meaning. It's just a a a, a somebody made of tar, and that's yep. literally all it is. And the same, and so. It got turned into a racial slur later, I, I would imagine. And it was used, you know, I teach English, 
you know, in Japan. Oh, kidding, yeah. And and that was an idiom. That was a non-racist idiom for a very long time. It literally, it was just a sticky situation. It was a, it was another way to say a sticky situation. That's all it mm-hmm. was. And then it got co-opted into bad ways. And but they use it again here. And when they're using it here, they're they're be they're using it knowing it's racist. Like I think mm-hmm. by evoking that imagery here, and it's another thing that really takes you aback. Like so much of this movie is just like, fuck me. Like it's just, <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah. But so I think that's what makes it fascinating, though. Yeah. So do, you, do it's it's hard to quantify this in like or dislike. But did you like this film? Ah, uh, I because it is hard to quantify and like or dislike. I'll say that I appreciate this movie. Okay. Um, I I I like that it's I like what it's trying to do. I like that it's trying to do something. But I think what it's trying to do on its own by itself wouldn't have made this interesting. Wouldn't have made this worth talking about on a podcast. I think the fact that it is so messy, that it is so complicated, that it is so abrasive without really backing all that abrasion up with perfection in its mm-hmm. message i think that's what makes it interesting and i'd say i'd say i'd like it just because it is such a hot mess yeah and it is so much a product of its time like mm-hmm. you know even like what's a good, a good example here like i i was watching old johnny carson clips on youtube and yeah i was watching the richard Pryor one which is hilarious and <laughs> On that clip, and this, 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 this is just an example of, of how the discourse has changed, and we're going to get to that in a minute when we talk about the controversy, but Richard Pryor was controversial when he was popular because he said the N-word a lot, you know? Yeah. And Johnny Carson at one point says the N-word to Richard Pryor on that show, and he's not saying it in a mean way. He's saying, you say this word a lot, you know? Hmm. And Okay. Yeah, and so I wouldn't say, I don't think Johnny Carson's racist for saying that. He's just repeating what he's saying. You say this word a lot, and people get angry about it. That's all he says. Yep. And I, 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 nowadays you shouldn't do that. But like back then, quoting somebody saying that, you could say it on TV, and just the the way the culture has changed in good ways. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The yeah. culture has progressed. Country's progressed, and so you, when you, when you, my point in telling that story is like I don't hold, I don't think Johnny Carson's a bad guy for saying that in 1970, whatever he was talking about the word in the context of what's prior using it, and when you watch it now, it's shock a little bit surprising. Same thing with this film. I think a lot of this film at the time was intentionally abrasive, but I feel like the times have changed, and. When you look at this movie and its problems, you have to take into account when it was made mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And that's not an excuse. You know, there's that there's that phrase you see in like disclaimers, it was wrong, then it's wrong now, you know. But yeah. viewpoints were different back then. And I feel like it's wrong, then it's wrong now sometimes oversimplifies things. Oh yeah. There's definitely a lot of nuance for stuff like this. Like you there there's always value to get from art in any time period, but the older something is, the more you got to dig through the dirt and grime of time to get to that good nugget of something. And this does have a good nugget of something, but yeah. man, there's just a lot of a lot of very obvious stuck on grime. Yes, and as we've hinted on, this movie really, really, really pissed some people off. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and you Goodness. said the controversy surprised you when I when I pointed it out. Yes, yes, yeah. I because I knew this movie 
I knew this movie probably wasn't, you know, popular. I'm sure this was one of those like, uh, don't watch, don't let your kids watch this and everything, especially with it being animated at mm-hmm. this time period. I didn't realize there were like people speaking out against it because I actually watched that folding ideas video uh, right before we recorded just to jog my memory a little bit. I forgot there were like boycotts for this. <laughs> yeah. So there's an interest. So I'm going to start with Ralph Bashke's version of how this starts. And again, take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. The original title of the film was Coonskin No More. That was the first title. And then Al Ruddy, the producer, the guy who did Godfather. Also, I want to point out, Ralph Baskey's working with the guy who glamorized the mafia more than anybody else in my lifetime. <laughs> so, just anyway. So, um, Ralph, so Al said, no, that's a long title. It's awkward. Just call it Coonskin. And back, he's like, I don't care. Whatever. That's fine. And then allegedly, again, a black executive said to Al, a black executive at Paramount, this is a Paramount feature. Yes. Told, told Al and Ralph that I like the movie, but you can't call it Coonskin. And then Al called the guy a black quota hire. Huh. Now, okay. not, not Ralph, not Ralph, not Ralph, Al. Yeah, Al um, did, yeah. Al did. I mean, and hey, then back, she believes that this guy then contacted the Congress of Racial Equality, and Al Sharpton to go after the movie. Now, I don't know if that's true. Somebody had to have let them know because it was attacked at the very first screening. Yeah, this is not the type of movie where by the first screening, word of mouth would have been that popular. Someone within the film's production had to know. And this was also one of Al Sharpton's first big things, apparently. <laughs> like, That's incredible. Oh, yes, my God. Yeah. Yes. Al Sharpton, interesting person. Um, <laughs> Certainly. Yes. And so they screened the movie at MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, in November of 74. It's not, it's a, th- that version is apparently a little bit different than this version. Some people of core showed up, got pretty confrontational with Bakshi, and um, there was uh, some arguments, some name calling. Um, there was a statement from somebody at CORE that said, this film depicts blacks as slaves, hustlers, and whores. It is a racist film and very insulting. Hmm. So then, uh, CORE picketed Paramount's o- then-owner, Golf and Western, and that wow. made Golf and Western blink. So then Paramount dumped the film onto Bryanston Pictures, which ironically was owned by the mafia. <laughs> they, oh my god. <laughs> they, ma- they, they distributed Deep Throat. Uh, yes, that yes. film I've also heard of. <laughs> yes, that's a film. And then, so, but Core was not happy with that. I want to read this quote in full. This is from, I, I found, I dug up a lot, about a, a lot of old newspaper articles because there's not a lot on the internet about this controversy. And I'm sorry if I'm talking a lot, but I got to get these quotes out of the way. Yeah, um, it's all good information. Go ahead. Charles Cook, the then LA regional chairman of Core, said, um, call, they called Bryanston a pusher man. Hmm. not a okay. film yeah that's that's a that's a bold one said we are planning direct action we hold Bakshi Ruddy and Bryanson responsible for whatever happens that sounds like a threat yeah that yes. sounds like they're gonna pull it to the crib or something like. yeah we charge them with high crimes against black people stereotyping and degrading blacks um it is worth pointing out that almost everyone at core who protested this film did not see it yeah yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> which is also, which is all like, I, there are films I have not seen because I've heard things about about them. 
Okay, now that's my personal choice. I'm not going to go out and picket it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so that, pretty much where I'm at. Yeah, like like there was a observe observing report is a movie I like with Seth Rogen. That's a it's a kind of a fucked up movie, and a lot of women protested it for saying glorified rape because of a joke in the trailer. They never saw the movie. The movie does not do that. Uh. And so the movie is also not very good, but still, and yet, <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> I like it, but it's a whole other issue. But then, yeah, um, there was the one that really got me was somebody from Core, the New York Times interviewed them, and they brought up that some black people, you know, were happy with this film. Like, obviously, the people in the film, you know, Charles Godorn was an important black playwright. He 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 thought it was not racist. Uh, Philip Michael Thomas said it was pro black. Um, one of my favorite ones is the uh, a member of the NAACP and an officer of the Black Stuntmen's Association um, named Eddie Smith. Hmm. He loved the movie. I want you know who must have had great parties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can only imagine. Oh man, probably used to throw down. Oh, anyway, but then Core didn't care. Core said, we consider black actors who appeared in this film as traitors to their race. Okay, Core is on one. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. to tell them. Now, that's, that, again, and again, I'm speaking as a, as a white man. But I can look at, like, gay stuff, because I'm gay. And when I see a gay man being a stereotype in a, in a movie or a TV show, especially from the 80s and the 70s. I'm a little angry, but at the same point, they got to work. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and if it's, not, if it's not like violently hateful towards gays, nowadays I just laugh at it because I think gay rights have gone so far that I can laugh at a bad stereotype from the 1970s. Um, but like, to, I would never call them a traitor to my people. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at too. Because actually, I was watching uh, I was watching a video essay right before I started Coonskin um, by FD Signifier. He's a great YouTuber. Everybody go watch him. Okay. Uh, uh, about uh, blacks uh, in media, like different stereotypes that they get put as, and basically saying how the stereotype has shifted from we're all pimps or you know coke addicts, and now we're all perfect and fallible people, like the Sydney Portier era of film. Yeah. Um, and so looking at this, like that's kind of where I'm coming from, where it's not that they're traitors or anything. I feel like you can be one of these stereotypes in film, but it can't just be the stereotype. Yeah. You have to be transformative in some type of way for it to be a thing. Because in Coonskin, you know, these are, you know, people in the streets. These are pimps. Well, actually, there is one just straight up a pimp in this movie and he gets <laughs> brutally murdered. Yes, so, he does. Like, So, like, they're already, like, denouncing that type of stuff. But you do have these gangsters that are in this film. They're not here to oppress the blacks. They actually shoot up a crack den at one point in this movie where drugs are being produced. So, like, they're trying to better the community. They're here to take down the oppressive structures from outside of the community that are bearing down on black people. So it's actually very positive. And if they saw the movie, they would have saw that. But that's, once again, that's a reason why I think this movie is overall more on the side of being pro-black than anything else. It just does so in a little bit of a sloppy way and in an often, especially for 2020, problematic way. Yeah. And there was one review, It's like, what, what did it say? Um, there was a Richard Edder from the New York Times. He said, the whites are the monstrous, monstrous ones in coonskin. The blacks are smart, weak, violent, hopeful, crooked, enduring, and desperate. They're human. 
the whites are not. And anybody he goes like Batchkey is not denying humanity to white people. It's simply that Coonskin does not deal in whites themselves. And that is the point. There like the, the black characters in this film are, are, are characters. They have motivations. They have good and bad qualities. You know, you cannot say the same thing about the the white characters in this film. Yeah, they're they're all just overwhelmingly every single time bad. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, and which is somewhat refreshing for this time period, I'd say. Yeah, and that was a common thing. That was a common thing in a lot of white-made films of black people in them, like the black exploitation films. Like most of the black exploitation films, they're made by Paramount, they're made by Warner Brothers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're making these movies where all the white guys are, are the bad guys, um, because they also know they'll make money, so they don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. So exactly, yeah, and I'm a big yeah. Black Blaxploitation fan, so like I I love those movies, you know. Yeah, um, I, I'd I'd say the the most experience I have with Black Exploitation is I'm a Get You Sucker, which is basically the scary oh, so movie of Black Exploitation movies. Here's what you do. So I watched I'm going to get you. I'm 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 way old. I'm, you're like you're in your twenties. Uh yeah, twenty seven today. Okay, I'm I'm forty today. Is it your birthday today? Yeah, it's my birthday. Oh, today, happy yeah. birthday! I didn't know. Oh wow, Crazy. thank you. Appreciate it. Happy birthday! His cool skin. Yeah, I was like, hey, let's let's have some fun with this obscure movie. And I, I like a movie I can talk about. So good or bad, I'm glad I got yeah. something to say about but, it. But but you know, I'm I'm 42 and I watched I'm gonna get you sucker when it came out. <laughs> and <laughs> and but you're in the same boat. You haven't seen anything it's make it's referencing. So yeah. what you have to do is you have to watch Cleopatra Jones and any Fred Williamson film and any Jim Brown film and Shaft and Anything with Antonio Vargas, who's who's uh the pimp in that movie with, with the gold. Yeah, I've heard shoes. that name, heard that and, name many times. And his son was a terrible Oakland Raider. Anyway, um, <laughs> then watch I'm gonna get you sucker again, and it is a thousand times funnier. <laughs> oh boy, um, I'm definitely gonna have to do that. Yeah, and I, I recommend like my, my, my go to black and films are of course Superfly and Shaft are legitimately good movies, and then. Cleopatra Jones is one of my all-time favorite films of all time because Shelley Winter plays a lesbian heroin dealer. Okay, all right, that's t- that's tickling the center of my brain that loves the Bayonetta series, so I, I definitely oh, might mess with that. And and <laughs> Cleopatra Jones is like six foot four with afro. Um, okay, I'm about that life. <laughs> When the movie came out, like there was the big controversy, you know, a lot of news articles about it. Like I was finding articles in the New York Times, the LA Times, you know, stuff like that. But nobody saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it seems like it. I heard this was like one of his big first failures as a director. Yeah, I, I can't even find box office on this movie. Like Fritz, wow. the, Fritz the Cat made a ton of money because the novelty of an, of an X-rated cartoon. Based on a popular character, because Fritz the Cat was a, a, a Crumb character. Now Crumb, of course, disowned Fritz the Cat in the movie, and then he killed the character in the comic book. So he had feelings. Wow. Right. And <laughs> then he made Heavy Traffic, which I think made less money, but people thought it was interesting. 
And then he followed this up with Wizards, and Wizards made money, even though it's terrible. But like, yeah, nobody saw Coonskin. The reviews were pretty middling. Most of them, mo- no, most of the mainstream reviews I could find were like, this movie's not racist, but it's not very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well, sophomoric. They said it was technically genius, but repulsive. Um, you know, beautiful, but it doesn't. It it drags, which is my my biggest issue of Coonskin is it's it's kind of boring. Once you get yeah, it does drag for mm-hmm. like the last like half hour or so. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big problem with a lot of Bakke's film. But would you recommend Coonskin to anybody? Uh, probably not. This <laughs> is, I mean, I'll I'll say this. I'll say this because a a big reason why I was excited to come on a podcast is because I'm Mister Obscure Games. Like I love obscure video games, so getting to talk about obscure movies is great. Coonskin is one of those, if I was to compare it to a game, I'm not going to be specific about a game I compare it to, but it's like the type of game where I'm like, I don't want to play that for six hours, but I will watch a 12 minute YouTube video (laughs) of someone showing gameplay and saying what it did. That is what Coonskin is good for. I'm glad it exists. I think it's cool that it exists. I do not recommend anyone subject themselves to the 80 minutes or so that is this movie, but it ain't all bad, uh, which I think is, you know, somewhat something at least valuable. I recommend this movie to fans of adult animation. And when I mean adult animation, I don't mean porn. I mean, <laughs> you know, because there isn't <laughs> yeah. a lot of American adult animation. Uh, that it, is true. It, and I, if you're going to watch heavy traffic, like I recommend watch what you said. Fritz the Cat's its own thing, and it's, it is what it is. Watch, thi- watch this, then heavy traffic, then American pop. I feel like that's that's not because Heavy Traffic came first, but it's a better movie. Um, and I think all three of those give you a really good idea of what Ralph Bashley's about, good and bad, and mm-hmm. give you a kind of and also the animation style and is just something you don't see anymore because people don't rotoscope anymore. So yes, for good and bad also because it can look pretty cheap. But I I feel like those are worth watching just to see a type of film that is not made anymore. And again, is deeply flawed, but is interesting to me. So I, I, if you're not bothered by the stuff that we've talked about in this movie, I do recommend it. But you should know, you got to know what you're getting into. I'll say this because hopefully you'd be bothered by the stuff in this movie. Yeah, exactly. But it's, exactly. Yeah. It's it's more that um, what is there outside of the problematic stuff is worth seeing um and you, you say you recommend it uh for those you know caveats for people who are into this type of thing um i'd say it is an interesting relic but god is it a relic that's like the main <laughs> caveat i'd say that's a great point and like i watch a ton of old movies and so i'm a little desensitized to like problematic elements for the most part as long as they're not like and again knowing the knowing what the message is in this film makes it a little more tolerable for me. And again, I also am white, so does that. Um, mm-hmm. But knowing that they weren't trying to make a racist film, and I don't think they were, mm-hmm. makes, yeah, it more, so makes it more tolerable for me than something like, you know, an old sexist movie from the 50s, you know, or mm-hmm. um, like I, I, I love Doris Day films <laughs> and. <laughs> I, I know, and some of <laughs> some of those. There's one with uh, Clark Gable that I just can't watch because, like, he straight up sexually assaults her, and yeah, not it's, great. Played, it's played for laughs, and it's just gross. And 
stuff like and I, I've seen an old movie where any old movies where you just see you know black people in the background as shoe shine men and stuff like that and that's really upsetting too and that upsets me more than this personally mm-hmm. because because you could tell it's done from a bad pot it's done yeah those are done with bad faith and this is done with somebody who's actually trying to make a difference and trying to say something he occasionally fails but he's trying <laughs> so. yeah definitely yeah, I it is actually. I should probably look this up. Is Ralph still alive? Yes, today? he is. He is retired. He okay. made a short film. His last film was called the The Last Days of Coney Island. He had to go to Kickstarter to get it finished. Um, oh wow, it's on YouTube. That's a lot. It's on YouTube. Uh, check it out. He he made him. He used footage from Coonskin to make fun of Mitt Romney. Oh well. So hey, you okay. know that's good. And he did some stuff for TV. His last theatrical film was Cool World. Um, oh. <laughs> Damn. Mighty Have Fallen. Good God. Yeah, cool. I mean, and hey, you know what? Cool World is not his worst movie. Um, True, true but everything I've heard about that movie is like, man, I'm sure Brad Pitt could release that if he could. But it is so much better than Fire and Ice. Like, Fire and Ice is one of the most boring films I've ever seen in my entire life. and. Wizards is just stupid, but at least Wizards looks good. Wizards looks good, so it has that. Hmm. If you if you're the kind of person who really wants to study like bizarre animation or like out of like old animation, watch Wizards. Maybe watch it with the sound off. But <laughs> it is a fascinating looking film, just like Lord of the Rings is. It's it looks good and bad and fascinating. So there's Definitely. that. But I think we should wrap it up there. Uh, I think we've said everything we can say about this film. <laughs> Do you agree? Yeah, everything we could and more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Emmett, then, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, you guys can find me, uh, ejspun61 on Twitter. Uh, really, you type in ejspun61 anywhere, you'll probably run into me. I've claimed that name on damn near every website out there. Uh, on Twitch, I'm ejspun61 underscore, though. So if you want to oh, see me on there, yeah. add the underscore, because your boy forgot he made a Justin TV account. <laughs> oh, I was, I was wondering, like, did someone else snipe it? Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, I sniped it when I was like 10. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Man, yeah, so I've been using this name forever. I'm so glad the internet did, did not exist when I was a, when I was a minor. Anyway, um, <laughs> thank God you're so you can, lucky, man. Yeah, yeah you can. I, I have staked Lost Turntable, and you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable, on my website Lost Turntable, and on YouTube at Lost Turntable. And I also have another podcast called Alexander's Ragtime Band, where I talk about everyone's favorite type of music, progressive rock. I know. Anyway, oh, that's gonna Prague do it. Yeah, progress. <laughs> yeah. Um, too many jokes. Anyway, Emmett, thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it. And that's another episode of Cinema Oblivia. I'll see you all again soon. Take care.